Happy January, everyone. We're over the hump. We're over the December darkness, and hopefully uh, in a couple of months, things will start to look a bit nicer. That's unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere, probably at a pool party, enjoying the heat of summer, the peak of summer, listening to this podcast, probably on the big speakers across the pool or something. I imagine you're all doing that. Today, I've got Rob Moraton from the Law and Lumber YouTube channel. He's from Northern Virginia, practices law and talks about all interesting kinds of legal things. Do look him up and, and follow and stuff if you enjoy this episode. Uh, he's going to be talking about the parade car killer, uh, which is totally mad. And it's something that I just did not know about. This was the case of Daryl Brooks, who... Well, I, I guess I'll let... I mean, it was a Christmas p- parade uh, and he, he killed six people and injured many others. Uh, and I'll let Rob Moraton tell us, you know, what happened in greater detail. We'll also be talking about the latest in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. I know you, you're thinking, God, is this still going on? But that's still happening. And I think it's a fascinating episode getting filled in and all of these things, particularly that uh, Christmas parade car killer and his sentence and what's going to happen to him because he really sounds like a scary, scary person. Some great episodes coming up for you on the show. Professor Wilford Riley is going to be talking about the culture wars and Elon Musk. Uh, There's going to be more on why Katie Holmes left Tom Cruise and Scientology. There's Helen Lewis coming on. There's Jason Flom about wrongful convictions. Jim Harold about the paranormal. It's just David Whitehead talking about the Great Reset. All sorts of weird and wonderful things coming up. But now you're on the edge of legal updates about the parade car killer and Johnny Depp and Amber Heard with Rob Moraton from Law and Lumber. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? Hey, Andrew. Nice to make your acquaintance. How are you? Very nice to make your acquaintance, good sir. I, I think I believe we have a mutual friend in Eric Hunley. He was excited to hear you were coming on this tonight. I think that's at least one of our mutuals. Yeah. Yeah, too many mutuals. Too many mutuals <laughs> to speak. So we're going to be talking today a little bit about a couple of things, and one of which is uh, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. Um, I, I think people have just sort of lost track of this because there's so many sort of toing and throwing so what where are we with with it all all right so what we've got is we've got basically judgments were entered in the court in virginia we're talking about the u.s case here we've got a judgment in the favor of amber heard the amount of two million and judgment in the favor of johnny depp in the amount of 10 million plus some punitive damages right now both parties have filed an appeal so the appeals are now pending and they're both on different timelines and tracks moving forward um Johnny Depp listed essentially one issue as an assignment of error, and Amber Heard listed 14 issues as assignments of error in her particular case. So it's a lengthy process, and it can be kind of confusing to keep along with. Does part of you feel like this is a way for them to stay in the spotlight? Celebrities quite like that. I mean, yes and no. My, my, my gut feeling was we knew that Amber Heard was going to appeal, period. Uh I, wouldn't, I didn't expect her to file 14 assignments of error, but I knew that she was going to appeal. And I think that Johnny Depp was holding off on his appeal until she appealed. I think she was, okay. he was waiting to see if she was going to pull that trigger. And once she saw that he did, or once he saw that she did, that's when he noted his appeal. So who owes who money now? Well, they both owe each other money. And that's something that a lot of people were very confused with. Uh, you had a $10 million judgment, $5 million in punitive that was modified by statute down to 350000 So Amber Heard owes Johnny Depp 
$10,350,000. Johnny Depp owes Amber Heard $2 million. Everyone's saying, well, why don't you just do the math and subtract them out? Well, they're, they're independent judgments. They accrue interest at independent rates. They are essentially an independent piece of paper that says, you owe me money, I owe you money. Do they have that kind of money either of both? Well, maybe they do. I think Depp can, I mean, Depp can pay his judgment. That's $2 million. It's This is Johnny Depp we're talking about. I don't think Amber Heard has $10 million. Not to mention, I don't, I don't know that her acting career has really taken much of a uh, yeah, it hasn't really gone very far since the, uh, since the trial. Hmm. What happens if she is unable to pay? Uh, if she's unable to pay, then Johnny begins collection efforts. And that's kind of what happens in both cases. They can garnish wages. They can go after movie royalties. They can go after assets and try to sell different assets. Um, right now, Amber's involved in a, a collateral, uh, litigation right now with her insurance provider. The insurance provider provided the attorney's fees and costs for her to fund this litigation. And they're now suing her to try and get some of that money back. And she's dodging that one. She she is in all sorts of litigation fund right now. But also, like I said, I, 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 guess, I guess she wouldn't want this, but it, 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 she's now more famous than she ever was. I mean, I, I knew the name Amber Heard, and I think I could have maybe pointed her out before, but now everyone does is there is there any benefit to this whole thing for her i don't i don't know i don't know <laughs> would you rather be famous or infamous or both some I, people I are know. happy with infamous aren't they it's yeah she's we'll see where she goes from here i think one of the things that she needs to focus on doing is getting her face out of the spotlight at least in the context of this litigation what are your thoughts about the media reporting on the whole on the dep appeal at the moment there was a lot of uh, misreporting on it. Uh, I know that newspapers were reporting, and I did a brief search on this before jumping on with you today. Well, I guess evening your time, um, just to see what it was going on, what is being reported as in the UK. And so many people were looking at the brief that he filed, and they were saying that was him noting his appeal, and he's going after this judgment, and they were calling him petty for doing so, etc. That is just a fundamental misunderstanding of how the appeals process worked. Both mm. of them noted their appeals. Their appeals were pending 30 days after the judgment was entered in July. So they both appealed. The briefs are the explanation of why I think I'm right to appeal. And the fact that the media was going out there reporting all of this as Johnny being Johnny Depp being uh, just a nasty person going after money, it was just really bad misunderstanding and i i would like to think it wasn't intentional i have my doubts but we, I, I did feel like I, I feel like there has been a slight change because it, it did feel like everybody was team johnny uh, about six months ago uh and i've started to just see little bits and pieces of you know some hidden audio of of johnny depp being aggressive and you know and you can say oh well she made in that way and but nobody's ever made me get a knife and start like threatening to use it on myself and on her and whoever else and all these kinds of what why why do we have trouble with just saying they're both you know lunatics oh i have no problem with that i i, <laughs> I think that the the big problem you have is people just want <sighs> Domestic incidents and incidents like this are very hard to explain. Try to dive into a family and explain the inner dynamics of a family in a particular moment. People are abusive to one another in various ways, emotionally, psychologically, physically. They're never acceptable. 
But when one person goes out and publicizes the other person's conduct as being something way more than what it was, I think that's where Amber Heard kind of started crossing into a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. I mean, the evidence for both of them, Amber Heard didn't do herself any favors by testifying or by raising the issues that she did. I'll kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, she she accused him of of uh, what's what's the word for it? D- domestic abuse was it? What did she say? Mm-hmm. She accused mm-hmm. him of domestic violence and of domestic abuse. And it wasn't just that. Was it was she redefined what those terms meant when she said when she used the word domestic abuse? She could mm-hmm. have kept it there, and it would have included emotional, psychological, verbal. But when she went onto the stand and described what she meant by the domestic abuse where you've got allegations of, and I know that we're on YouTube, we're going to be careful here, but taking a, uh, a bottle and using it for an inappropriate purpose that is depicted in the scene in a movie Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start defining that as being your definition of abuse, and then when you also don't have, not just that you don't have facts to back that up, but when every single fact cuts against your argument, so it's not just that you have to prove your case. It's that everything is disproving your case. That was what yeah. it came down to with her. I think she went back and back and forward quite a lot, didn't she? And didn't really stick to one line, which is what a big reason about, you know, a big reason for why people don't really trust her. And is, is that part of the substance of Depp's um, appeal? Uh, not his, it sounds like his allure, his appeal, but his uh, appeal in the law case. No, the appeal itself is actually based on a one statement that was made by his attorney. So his mm-hmm. attorney went out and made statements that Amber Heard had fabricated uh, evidence to basically make this story up. And those statements made by his attorney were actually attributed to him. And the implications of that are really pretty interesting. Um, it made a lot of attorneys very uncomfortable. And it should. Because the idea that I would be representing a client and then me in my own world, in my own capacity, goes out and makes a statement that could be a factual assertion, all of a sudden now my client is the one who's on the hook for the words that I am saying out of my mouth. There is, there is, I mean, attorneys are paid advocates. So we are paid advocates. We are advocates that, that are, are actually responsible for doing that. But we also have rights of our own. We can go out and give an opinion on a case. We can give an opinion on facts. We can make mm-hmm. these statements and they shouldn't be tied back to our client interesting it is it's so messy and crazy and then what's what's next in the appeals process then uh as of right now we've got johnny depp's opening brief uh that has been filed amber heard gets to file a response that has to come within 30 days of his opening brief which i believe was the 15th um so his or i believe his opening brief was a couple weeks ago so uh, another couple weeks for her response, then he gets to reply to that. Amber Heard asked for an extension of her appeal uh, for her opening brief. That's due next week on the 23rd. Um, and then Johnny Depp will have 30 days to file a response to that. Uh, he's going to ask for an extension because there's, she, like I said, she, she raised 14 different issues to try and assert error. Yeah. And is she right on any of them? Mm, no. I mean, there's there's only one issue that I think that is kind of the curious one for me, which is whether this defamation by implication is going to to carry water. Um, 
Now, it's pretty well-founded in Virginia. Their last case that we had on defamation by implication, I believe, was 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. um, but the law is not in her favor on that. I would say that 90% of the issues that she raised on appeal are, I mean, they, they go nowhere. They might make her feel good to say the trial court got wrong. I just cannot see an appellate court overturning it. Um, just not a whole lot of merit there. And what, and what, what's, I mean, what are some of her weakest ones? Do you, do you have them to mind? Uh, the weakest one that I can think of was she tried to make this argument throughout the entire trial proceeding that the judgment that was obtained by the son in the UK proceeding where Johnny Depp sued the son in the UK, that that should have been presented to the jury and that mm -hmm. the judge prohibiting that from being presented to the jury was somehow um, a fatal flaw to her case or a fatal flaw to the case as a whole. And that just, that rested on a really impermissible misunderstanding of law. The judge was fully briefed all the way through the UK issue and the UK trial was Johnny Depp suing the son. And Amber Heard in that case was a witness the son only had to prove that they were justified in their belief that what they were printing was true. That is not the mm -hmm. same as the individual that is in the room while it's happening, making the statement themselves. And it's completely excluded and it's properly excluded because there's nothing more prejudicial than a, to a jury than to suggest that they don't have a job to do in that courtroom to basically say, Hey, don't worry. Some other judge decided this for you. Don't, you don't have to look at the evidence that, that I'm showing you. Right, all right, and and what? Where do you see this going? Then is it to to us, I, us lay people? It just feels like oh god, it's interminable. It's just going to bounce back and forward forever. Is there an end in sight? And 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 who does it look bad for? I don't know. Do you have binoculars? Like how far can you <laughs> see out into the future? Because that's where this is going. It's going to be like this for a while. Um, the timelines we're talking about are. 30, 40 days to file documents. We're not going to get an oral argument in the court of appeals until I'm guessing mid spring, late mm. spring. And then after that, she can ask the Supreme court of Virginia to take it up. The Supreme court of Virginia doesn't have to take it up, but depending on how the court of appeals resolves itself, we'll see what she decides to do. Yeah. Any hope they'll get back together. Oh my word. <laughs> If he if if those two get back together, oh, wouldn't that be great though? It's like they've taken us all for a ride. They've just let us feast on them for years and years and take sides, and then they're just like, we're back together. Oh, you're talking to a domestic relations attorney here. <laughs> I can't even. I imagine. imagine it doesn't it, it doesn't happen no, often that kind. No, that, no, it doesn't happen often. And when it does, like as an attorney, you look at your client and you're going, I understand why you want to remarry this person. I do. I know that your heart is telling you that. I'm just telling you that I walked you through that entire divorce. Do you really want to do that again? I mean, would you say that to a client? Yeah, probably. I would say, look, it's your choice. But we've been down this road before. Here's everything that we did. Do you really want to do it again? <laughs> Bloody hell. Well, you know, I wish them separately um, satisfaction, I suppose, uh, like in a duel or something. I, I hope we'll they are see. both satisfied to an extent uh, at the end of this. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. 
on What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. We're going to move on to um, Daryl Brooks. Now, tell us, just in case people haven't uh, been been following, it was last year, the... Uh, how do you pronounce the, the name of this place and the parade murders? Waukesha. Waukesha, Wisconsin. Mm, so tell us a little... Oh, oh go on. yeah. This, this, this case is... Uh, this one's going to mess with the the patience level that I've got here. So there was a Christmas parade that took place in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And I don't know if your audience remembers seeing media reporting on this because the media ran out with this headline of red SUV mows through or plows through parade. They left mm-hmm. out the fact that someone was driving the SUV. Well, the person who was driving the SUV was named Daryl Brooks. And the driving through that parade resulted in six deaths, one of which was a child and uh, dozens injured. I mean, he he quite literally drove over humans like they were speed bumps, stopping at one point in time, reaching out of the window and pulling a person off of the hood of the car. Hmm. Well, he went to trial on this in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and the week before his trial, he fired his attorneys and he decided he was going to proceed pro se or pro per. Um, basically I want to represent myself or in Daryl Brooks's case, he tried to make the argument of, uh, me, Daryl Brooks, not the defendant, Daryl Brooks, 
as I am representing Daryl Brooks in a representative capacity, but no, I'm not here and I don't subject myself to jurisdiction. I can see your eyes flicking around and I'm going, yes, it makes just as much sense as you're processing in your head, which is to say none. Okay. It reminds me of that. There was a Family Guy episode where Peter had his own country. He decided it would be called Peterland. Pretoria. Pretoria. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Is that what he's doing? Kind of. Um, It's a bunch of this. In the States, we call it sovereign citizen, where they're soft sets. Mm -hmm. They basically, they, they don't acknowledge that there is any authority over them by the state. He kept on saying throughout the entire trial, you know, uh, are you aware of the plaintiff in this matter? Do you know the plaintiff? Have you seen the complaint in this matter? Well, the plaintiff is the state of Wisconsin, which is, I mean, it's a sovereign. It is, it is the embodiment of the people that live in Wisconsin. So no, the state doesn't physically walk in the door, but it does through its, through its agents and representatives, the prosecutors in the case. It was one of the most wild trials I think I've ever seen, and the judge has exhibited more patience in that trial than I could have ever imagined. Wow. I guess they don't have much choice. I mean, the judge can't just like get up and hit him, can they? Oh, no. she. It, I was shocked. The bailiff that was sitting behind him while he was going through his antics, I was surprised that he didn't get up and wallop him a couple of different times. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who was cross-examining the people that he ran over. He was, he was a permitted to do that so they oh were up God. on the witness stand and he was the one representing himself asking them questions um he would ask them well wow. he asked one of them said well you can walk fine now it, just just things that came out of his mouth that you would never ever 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 imagine coming out of a person's mouth courtroom. what how has this been allowed i suppose it's a legal loophole of sorts <laughs> It's not even it's not a loophole. So in the states, we have the confrontation clause, which basically is a part of our Constitution. You are allowed to confront your accuser. You're allowed to put on your defense. So you are both. You are allowed to put on your own defense and you're entitled to representation and you're allowed to represent yourself in cases where you are the person accused and you're allowed to confront your accuser. So when you combine those two facts, Mm -hmm. you have this absolute right to basically examine the evidence and present that in front of the jury because your life is the one that's on the line. A lot of people were saying, why is he allowed to further victimize these people? And it's, it's a difficult answer to give uh, because it requires kind of a little bit of balancing here. You're basically saying that the state has the power to deprive you of life and liberty for the rest of that lifetime. They have the burden to prove this case. You, because the state is asking and trying to deprive this from you, you have the absolute right to cross-examine these people. The, the, the trauma that you might inflict on them um, in that cross-examination is, yes, it's significant. It's something we can mitigate, but it doesn't trump this person's right to not have their life deprived of them without the right to have the evidence presented. Well, I, I guess it's, I heard someone saying, recently uh, i think it was robert barnes on this on this channel was saying uh you know we need to really make sure that the that, that even the worst people he said it's even more important Correct. that the worst people have that have a fair trial and the right to defend themselves although what he's doing really is just riling people up isn't it he's just going to get an even longer sentence but but he probably knows doesn't he that this is his last bit of acting you know oh, his this- last bit of funk he's going away isn't he This is his last bit of acting, and I couldn't agree with more with Barnes on that particular topic because the thing is, bad facts make bad law. 
You cannot make the law based on the worst possible circumstances that could ever exist. If you do that, you're going to get bad results. If you don't uphold this right for the worst of the people in the world, it's not long until they get to you. It really isn't. Um, now, in this particular case, in his antics, yes, it's his last hurrah. Honestly, before I jumped on, right up until the very 10 seconds before you had me on the show, I was listening to his his final um, statement in the sentencing part of his trial. He was convicted of all charges, all 76 counts he was convicted wow. of. And the Good. sentencing is taking place over yesterday and today. Yesterday was the victim impact statement, some of the hardest stuff I've ever watched in a courtroom. Um, 19 victims that get to give up, get up and give their statement and what they want of this judge as far as sentencing. And then today has been his version of the case or his request for sentencing, which boiling it down basically says it's society's fault that I ran over all of these people. I am going to not really apologize, but I'm, I am good with me. Uh, and then he went off on a tangent attacking the DA for a while. Um, it's not going to matter so much as far as sentencing is concerned because he's the, the charge with which he was convicted, the six murders, the six people that died, those each carry a mandatory minimum of a lifetime. So he's already got six consecutive lifetimes. I think mm -hmm. he's facing upwards of, I think, 900 years. So. Huh. Bloody hell. I think he was, I gather he was involved in, I mean, he, he hated white people. There was some evidence about that and, and evidence also that, and Sean doesn't like me saying it on the show, but, you know, people with, with my, my own ethnicity, which you might gather from my surname, uh, he was also, he had a problem, you know, like Kanye West and like um, um, Dave, Dave Chappelle recently. It's a worrying um, trend. I would say his behavior there was a lot of stuff that existed prior to trial that would suggest how he viewed certain races and classes. But I, my focus throughout this entire thing has kind of been on his antics and his, his complete disdain for the, the system disdain and disrespect for anyone in a governmental or authoritative position. And honestly, the victim shaming and the victim, uh, you run over someone with a car, you don't look at them and say, why didn't you get out of the way? Is he potentially, are we looking at a psychopath, do you think? I know that doctor, you've had uh, Dr. Das on, right? I believe you Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shaham. The ominous Shahomanus. Shaham. Shaham. He has, uh, he gave, he, he, we've talked about this case a little bit. I'm not in the, I'm not a licensed professional. I'm not going to diagnose anybody. Hmm. There's, there are some screws loose. Um, I would say that Dr. Dr. Doss is probably a better position to give that diagnosis, but I, I would say that there are issues with his mental health. They are not the kinds of issues that are going to result in his being set free or result in him being confined in a mental institution. He is fit to serve his time in jail and in prison, and I imagine that's where he's going as of the close of business today. Do we know enough about sort of, I mean, he said society, it's all society's fault on this kind of thing. I mean, it is perfectly possible that he did have a rough time of it. Do we know much about his, not that that would ever excuse his acts, but I'm interested. I mean, he, yeah. he, he did. He didn't have a great upbringing. The problem, the problem is, is that he didn't have a great upbringing, but everyone made excuses for him at every single step of the way. He was, huh. he received nine, I mean, the nth degree of, uh, second chances he was out on bail multiple times thousand dollar bail cash bail he jumped bond basically when you when you don't return back to court after you've been released prior to your trial date 
He just refused to show up several different times. He continued engaging in all of this criminal behavior. At some point in time, yes, there's mental health issues, but at at a certain point, you've got to take responsibility for your own actions. Agency kicks in and you've got to be held accountable. Yes, we can talk about the mental health issue, but it's not going to prevent him from going away to prison for a very, 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 very long time. At the beginning, you you mentioned um, that the media reported it as a car uh, carrying out these uh, murders by you know uh, what what do you th- what do you think that what what's driving that uh, failure to say that it was a a person or a man or or whatever else? Honestly, you had you had the district attorney in this particular case. Um, I don't want to screw this one up. Basically, the state the state district attorney had and the state legislature had gone down this path of let's get away with cash bail. Now, a lot of people mm-hmm. don't understand what cash bail actually is. And this is, this is something that I think one side of the coin has failed in their narrative. When someone is accused of a crime and they are charged with that crime, they appear in front of a judge after having been arrested. And the presumption is that they get held over, they get held incarcerated until their trial comes. Well, the law allows for people to say it is too harmful to me to for you to keep me detained for this period of time all the way up until my trial date. There are people that depend on me. I'm, a, I'm an asset to the community, all these other things, right? So that's where bail comes in. Hmm. Well, as part of a lot of state structure, cash was a part of that bail. It was viewed as a way for the court to basically put some type of burden on you that would guarantee you were going to show up give it more than just my promise. Well, that became uh, the narrative was that that was discriminatory against a certain class of citizens. So Mm -hmm. they started eliminating it for different charges and crimes. If you showed up having, for example, stolen a car and the judge is sitting there looking at you and the judge is saying, I would really like to hold you over because I know if I release you right now, you're going to go and do something. So I'm going to charge you for $5,000. You have to come up with that money. If you can't afford it, then you have to be in jail for until your trial. Well, the state came in and said, judge, you can't do that. And they started elevating the crimes for which the judge was prohibited for asking for that cash bail. This was a particular case where you had a lot of slack DAs letting him off the hook, judges that weren't holding him accountable when he did jump bail. And it was a, a failure in the system. So when the media got this narrative, when they found out who he was, they didn't want to take egg on the face because they've been sitting there promoting and advocating for this uh, revised system for all of 2020, the summer of love. And this is the, you just had a lot of that, that being pushed at that point in time. So when this hits the newspaper, the last thing they want to do is say, Oh my gosh, this is the consequence of our decision. Blame it on the car. I suppose that is a fallout, you know, an issue, but I can sort of see the other side as well. You don't want a two-tier system where the law treats people differently depending on who can afford bail and things like that. Yep. And it, it's, I can tell you that the system's not going to be perfect, uh, but the pendulum tends to swing from one end of the equation all the way to the other when the reasonable people are right around in here. Yeah. So it's... That's something we we <laughs> see a lot. People don't 
seem to get nuanced, especially a big organisation like a country and a, a district attorneys and things like that. It just swings all the other, the other, the other way. So, will he? He. So, what happened the last two days? Is it? Is it finished? Now, I'm using very lay terms because those are all I know. Is it finished and over? Now he goes to prison. Yeah. So today is the sentencing phase. So there's the adjudicatory phase, which is the guilt phase that gets determined by the jury. Then the jury is excused. And there's a whole different set of information that's presented to the judge that allows the judge to analyze factors and determine what sentence they're going to impose. Judge Doro is going to impose that sentence today. He will begin immediately serving that sentence. Um, and then he will have certain rights to appeal. These are things that he has mm -hmm. the right to appeal on certain issues. It doesn't mean that any one of them are going to succeed. In this particular case, I think the judge has been remarkably careful to not tread all over his rights. I think she has been overly careful, more than I could have ever been, um, given his antics. So I, I think he's just, it's going to be a long time in a very cold, dark place and couldn't think of a better person to deserve it. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, Rob, tell us where people can find you, where you want to send them to. Of course. Uh, channel is Law & Lumber. Uh, got into the YouTube thing not too long ago, probably around May of this year. So still kind of figuring it out. Do two weekly shows. Trials of the Century begins tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tonight we're talking about the inspiration to the, the movie The Fugitive, if, you, if you're familiar with that film. Uh, the Trial I, of Sam yeah. Shepard. Yeah, years ago. Is it just Sam Shepard? Is not another famous person in that? Sam Shepard is the was the trial that resulted in that particular film. But every single week on Wednesday, we break down one of these old historic trials and talk about how the process went, etc. It's been a lot of fun. Ah, uh, well, uh, well, yeah, it does sound fun, and it's a great. This looks like a great channel. One hundred eighty thousand subscribers just in a few months. You must be incredibly good at what you do. One of the top law tubers so everybody please do go check out rob's channel uh, and rob thank you so much for coming on and so beautifully explaining everything my pleasure thanks for having me hope to talk soon thank you rob moriton that was fascinating i learned a lot didn't know about the parade car killer my word what a what an awful sounding person um i hope you got something out of this episode i hope it resonated with you on this dark horrible january day night whenever you're listening to it some big episodes coming up professor wilford riley talking about the culture wars and elon musk there's more on katie holmes leaving scientology and jim harold about the paranormal coming up see you then okay round two name something that's not boring laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details